Today on Government Matters, a cyber storm brews in America. Fortunately, it's only a test. One of its leaders at the Department of Homeland Security will tell you how we did. A super grade on the latest IT scorecard. The chief information officer that got that grade for USAID reveals his strategy. And Cloud Smart comes to Customs and Border Protection, its veteran IT leader, on how he's moving the agency forward. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is reviewing results from its biannual simulated cyber attack. CISA says CyberStorm was a success and the most extensive exercise of its kind in the country. Lisa Burry Russo is acting deputy associate director for exercises at CISA. Lisa, thanks very much for coming on. What is CyberStorm? What were you trying to accomplish? Francis, thanks so much for having me today. This is an opportunity for us to bring together stakeholders from the federal, state, and local government, private sector, and even international partners to build relationships and examine how we would collectively respond to a widespread cyber attack. As you noted, this exercise was very expansive. In fact, this year we had more than 200 participating organizations and over 2,000 individual players. Who are those 200 participating organizations? Who are the people and the stakeholders that you want to be involved with this each time, Lisa? So we aim for this to be a pretty expansive and inclusive exercise. Those 200 organizations represent, as I said, our federal department and agency partners, including CISA, of course, uh, state and local governments, and a large number of critical infrastructure owner operators in the private sector. This year, we had representation from nine of the 16 critical infrastructure sectors. It was quite broad. And then within that, we aim to include anyone who'd be included in a cyber incident response. That includes the technical incident responders. Uh, it could include public affairs, leadership, HR, uh, whatever that would look like within a given organization, we aim to include those individuals and those functions. How do you measure what you, the results that you got last time up against the results that you'll get this time to see what kind of progress you're making? And how do you accommodate the way the threat landscape changes from exercise to exercise, Lisa? That's a great question. So CyberStorm 2020 was actually our seventh iteration of this exercise. We've been doing it since 2006. And in each iteration, we aim to build on what we learned previously, um, but also forge into some new areas. So there were a couple things from the past that we sort of retested, um, particularly in looking at how we implement some plans and policies. And then there were some new areas that we explored as well. So in this one, for instance, we really wanted to look at some cross-sector activity, um, which is why we, we included so many different critical infrastructure sectors. What does cross-sector activity mean? What, kind of, what kinds of threats are you looking at there? That's a great question. We see a lot of common threats across sectors. So you may see uh, ransomware targeting state and local governments, which we've seen in the news recently. Uh, but that same thing could be targeting businesses, perhaps in the financial sector or critical manufacturing, transportation. 
So we see a range of different vectors targeting uh, a number of different sectors. And in, in some ways, this can be like assembling a puzzle. You know, each one of those organizations or sectors will have a piece, and we really need that coordination and cross-communication to assemble the entire picture. What's your sense of how that coordination and cross-communication in the private sector vertically and not just horizontally with you at DHS, how's that evolving? What is that like? Is it improving? Is it a steady state? What do you see? You know, we see improve every time we do one of these exercises. And one of the things we noticed during CyberStorm 2020 was really the value of some of those um, vertical sharing organizations within the sector, what we call the ISACs and the ISAOs, or information sharing and analysis centers and information sharing and analysis organizations. Those were really valuable in putting together some pieces within the sector and then enabling that broader cross-sector sharing. What are you seeing within the enterprise of the federal government as far as individual agencies' interactions with the private sector organizations, with the private sector stakeholders that they deal with on an ongoing basis, ingress and egress of data and so on? Yeah, so we do have specific roles for the federal interagency in, uh, in interacting with the, the private sector. Uh, one of those is the quote unquote sector specific agency where there are different departments and agencies that have those roles. We see those roles as very strong um, and we, are, we have great relationships um, between CISA and those other departments. We often have liaison officers that we share so, um, for instance, if there's you know one SSA that's looking at uh, information happening within that sector, the liaison officer is then also an additional conduit of information into CISA. So we kind of try to connect all the dots in that information sharing cycle. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago how you gauge the response, the actual performances from one to another. What will you take away from CyberStorm 2020 that will inform the way that you go about setting up 20, uh, CyberStorm 2022 in a couple of years? So I think there are a couple things. First, I'll note that this was our first CyberStorm as CISA. I noted we've been doing this for a number of years, but it's been as NPPD and some of our predecessor organizations. So we learned some things internally that I think were really valuable. Um, we also, as you likely know, we conducted this exercise in the middle of a pandemic. So we did learn some things about how we can better coordinate and communicate in this dispersed environment that I think will help us in our you know, everyday steady state work, uh, as well as a range of different scenarios that could come up. Uh, and we'll look to see how much of that we incorporate in the next cyber storm. Um, you know, we're not quite sure what the, the future holds, but I think everyone's been pretty clear that um, we are probably not going back to exactly what used to be business as normal. It's going to be a new way. So we'll continue to uh, include those lessons. You probably didn't know when you eat right up to the last minute that you were planning for this, that you would be doing it in the middle of a pandemic. But you mentioned that you learned internal lessons from this. And I wonder what some of those might be. We have about a minute left. Sure. Uh, you are correct. We, we certainly did not plan for this in the pandemic. And in fact, the exercise was originally scheduled for the spring and rescheduled it. Um, but some of those lessons learned are just some plans we need to update, um, making some, some different connections across different functions. 
Um, you may know in CISO, we now have a stakeholder engagement function, which is going to be hugely valuable to us in this sector and cross-sector outreach. Uh, so we had an, ex an opportunity to exercise some of those things. And um, I think we just need to maybe refine some plans and, and continue our growth. But overall, we really found that the exercise highlighted the value of CISA and those goals that we carry out for the broader cyber community. Lisa, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you here. Appreciate the insight. Thanks for the opportunity to join you. Up next, USAID aces the newest IT report card. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what it takes to get and keep top marks. You're watching ABC7. back to U.S. Agency for International Developments, one of the only agencies with an A rating on the latest Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act scorecard. The General Services Administration also got a top grade. Jay Mahanan is Chief Information Officer at USAID. Jay, congratulations to you and your team. We talked a little bit before we went on the air about the fact that you're proud that you've been pretty consistent in FATARA scorecards uh, over time. What do you think the strategy is that has allowed you to get to a high level stay at a high level, Jay? I think there's two things for me. Um, definitely my team. Uh, we have, I have a very, uh, you know, very uh, techni technically qualified team. They're, um, you know, they're very good at what they do. And secondly, it basically is our, uh, you know, senior leadership support. I think that was one of the areas that I think um, has been, you know, consistent throughout uh, my tenure here. Uh, the, the support that I have from senior leaders has been great. And, um, you know, having the right people in the right positions here, because uh, you can lay the processes out, but it really takes the, it takes the effort of the team to get, the, to get where we are and to have a score and being consistent as we are. When the scorecard first came out, you had a B, it got bumped up to an A. What was the change there? What happened? So we, we monitored the scorecard, every one of the metrics. And so when the scorecard came out, I looked at it and said we had a B. And so I went through each one of the, the metrics and I saw that the, um, the cybersecurity score was, was incorrect because um, we, we calculated, I think we had a B. And so when we looked at the score, they, um, the committee, they, they had, I think, a 2.2 in our rating in terms of the maturity level. And so um, we looked at it because we know we had a 3.4 at the at the beginning of the year. So um, you know we contacted the committee and let them know that uh, we thought the score was incorrect. Uh, I think they were also looking at it at the same time and agree with us. So they were pretty quick in terms of how quick they turn around and made the corrections to the scorecard. What do you see as far as the manifestation of how the grades on the scorecard actually demonstrate the progress or, or the success that you're having at your individual agency? You know, I mean, the one thing for us is that we, we've always, you know, take a look at what best practices are. And, and I think for us is that looking through and looking at the scorecard, I think, you know, it is definitely driving uh, a lot of the, the agencies to, to do well in these different areas. I think for us is um, we've, again, we started this journey a, a, a while back, you know, in 2011 when we went to, um, you know, we went through the, cl the, cloud, the cloud first initiative. Um, and so we've been driving ourselves and to be at this point, it's great. And so I think, you know, the scorecard is already driving other agencies to do the same as well. It strikes me that the import of what you've achieved is that you're not doing what you're doing to get a good grade. You're doing what you're doing 
to drive the mission of USAID and getting a good grades incidental. Am I reading that right? Exactly. I mean, this is something that we started a while back. And, and you know, if you actually look at the scorecard when it first came out, we had, um, we had I think, three Ds or a C, two Ds and a C. And one of the things we looked at is that this is where we started working with GAO um, to, to, you know, to kind of correct some of the reporting um, uh, errors that we had. And as soon as we did that, we went from, you know, I think it was a D to an A. And so, uh, for us, you know, we've always done the right things. It's just making sure people understand, and for us also to report the kind of the kind of the correct uh, activities that we're working on. What is what are the next steps? What do you do? Not just to, as I said before, not just to maintain a good grade, but to continue to drive success in the IT infrastructure that the agency needs to deliver on its mission. You know, I, we've done fairly well, and I think we're not in a modernization mode anymore. I think it's more uh, we're looking at innovations and what we can actually do for the agency. Um, one of the highest priority for us is really um, looking at data. Uh, with USAID, there's quite a bit um, that we have, and so how do we refine the data to make better decisions? Uh, and so this is something that we are definitely working on. Uh, and then again, use the data for you know other technologies such as um, you know RPA, uh, artificial intelligence, to kind of. Uh, you know, drive some of the decision making for for you know our our um, staff. What do you think was the turning point for you to get from the modernization phase to the innovation phase? Because that's a corner that a lot of agencies haven't turned yet. You know, I think when I, when I look back, and again, I think the scorecard is a very good reflection of where we are, right? Because um, I think we, if you look at the scorecard again, it's pretty consistent all the way across, and we've we've achieved most of the things. Our processes are pretty mature in a way that we're. Um, moving away from looking at what things that we need to remove out of the environment. And so um, process-wise, we, we look at it, we see if there's something that we need to do, and, and we do it. I think it's, it, you know, it, for us it's that simple. Again, when you have a great team and a great support, I think it all works itself out. What would you like to see, if anything, as far as the way that you're graded, or agencies in general are graded moving forward? There's always talk about how to evolve the scorecard. Does that matter to you, or are you going to uh, are you going to worry about that, or just deal with the way it comes? Uh, we've always deal with the way it comes, and I think it's always great when the score changes. Um, it, it's also a reflection of how we adapt as well. Uh, it's good that the um, the community has at least give you a preview of what the next metric is going to be. Um, but for us, is that we look at all aspects of IT and see how we can do what is important, what is not, and I think. The scorecard does tie into some of those things as well. So I think, I said, as it comes, you know, we're ready for it. Jay Mahanan, thanks very much. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you. Up next, a cloud smart approach at customs and border protection. Straight ahead on Government Matters, setting the agenda for a smooth move to the cloud. You're watching ABC7. Customs and Border Protection will put out a solicitation contract for cloud management and integration in the coming years. It's the latest of a series of modernization projects aimed at getting CBP to a cloud smart strategy. Sonny Bagawali is acting assistant commissioner and chief information officer at CBP inside the Department of Homeland Security. Sonny, welcome. It's great to see you. You're a veteran of this kind of stuff all across government. What does the, the state of cloud migration look like to you, enterprise-wide, not just within CBP? Well, good morning, uh, Francis. Good to see you. And I think the current state of cloud migration is really impressive in terms of what the government has done. And uh, since we started this journey in uh, 2009, seems like, uh, <laughs> well, it's a decade ago. 
And uh, I think uh, there's a lot of new solutions that are tailored to government that are coming into the equation, and we're able to keep our data and system secure. And uh, there's just a lot of activity going on in there in terms of you know what was started with cloud and FedRAMP and security, cloud security, and then looking at data and so on and so forth. We've also had, uh, I think the government leaders uh, and also industries provided more solutions that, uh, that are tailored to government, which sort of has improved the confidence that we have in terms of, uh, you know, that uh, what solutions we can leverage. I think leaders also, have, uh, government leaders have also had time to plan ahead in budgeting and contracting, you know, for cloud-based services, which usually, as you know, require lead time and two years for budgeting cycles. And then obviously our acquisition, uh, you know, we still are working on agile acquisition, but as, as, you, as you can just imagine, imagine, we're making a lot of progress there as well, but some work to do. We also see much more collaboration amongst government agencies where we can leverage interagency agreements and contracting that allows us to deploy faster solutions which would otherwise be difficult to procure. And even in the light of COVID, we're seeing now a, a, quite an array of responses where the government has really adopted and is very comfortable with leveraging cloud-based solutions. We ourselves have used and scaled to uh, like all 65,000 of our employees able to do this, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of work from anywhere, anytime. And, and, and so therefore, I think as people are struggling to mobilize their workforce and maintain these mission priorities, uh, they're expediting their cloud journey. So I think that has sort of uh, been an uh, impetus and I think in FY 2020, if I was tracking that, uh, uh, we did some research for your show, by the way. So we're tracking to spend about 7.1 billion on the White House Cloud Smart Strategy that came out in FY 19. And so now all those, uh, you know, journeys to the cloud are getting expedited. And uh, so I think uh, compared to the contract obligations, 5.9 billion in infrastructure platform and software as a service, I think things are incre increasing and improving. So I think the overall prognosis is, is good and more to do obviously 7.9 7.1 billion over 80 billion still some ways to go but uh, i think uh, prognosis is good and you know we're not tracking everything in there are you taking an application by application approach uh, at cbp to your cloud transition or are you looking at it enterprise wide i know some agencies are doing some of each yeah, we're looking at uh, both. We're doing app uh, rationalization, but uh, you know, in sort of, uh, uh, we have seen uh, somewhat a slow start at first. But the app rationalization also requires that you know we are uh, uh, making sure that uh, you know what are some of the applications that are ready to go to the cloud, sort of in in bucket one, and bucket two is uh, with a few modification, commercial off the shelf, we can make some adjustments. We go into that, and then their monolithic application, as you might well might well imagine, we have some you know, high value assets that are sort of national systems, which, uh, uh, you know, are, are have some customization. So these are not something you can buy off the shelf. So they require a little bit more thought. But with the Cloud Smart, we acknowledge that there's not really a one size fits all. We have to have some flexibility and in, uh, in in, in making sure what's really works for us. So there's a, there's a uh, combination of on-premise uh, footprints and also, uh, you know, operational resiliency, because at the end of the day, uh, mission resiliency it comes first because we are a 24/7 operation, and so. But we have also implemented uh, innovative uh, ways that we have like 30 to 40 teams that are deploying in uh, you know solutions in increments. So app, sec DevOps, and all the other stuff that is required, it can be done in the cloud, and we have a cloud pipeline and so on and so forth. And I think uh, uh, you know also OMB has given some uh, guidelines to us to hire more talent that is sort of able to leverage. Uh, you know, uh, some of the cyber and data disciplines and leverage some of those things to get cloud talent, if you would. So I think uh, I think this cloud smart has really sort of 
taken us towards this new consumption-based model. Uh, we all, I think most of the agencies are doing a hybrid multi-cloud strategy, and we're certainly working to transition from a, sort of a data center ops to service delivery. But I think overall, our app rationalization, I think we had something like 286 uh, apps or so, somewhere in there, and 86, uh, you know, we've already sort of uh, uh, migrated already. Sonny, we have about a minute left, and my last question is more philosophical than tactical. Uh, your major positions in government have been as the CIO at Interior, CIO at Treasury Department, as the enterprise-wide CIO. How is working at a component-level CIO shop different than leading an enterprise-wide organization? Well, first of all, it's great to have Karen Evans uh, in DHS. Uh, so we've all sort of uh, experienced each other. I think uh, she's a tremendous leader. Uh, I think uh, the experience is that in the uh, in the department level, a lot of policy, and then what you have to do at the you know department level ops, and then in component level, it's all ops with a lot of mission uh, frontline stuff that you have to be very vigilant and resilient and and really uh, uh, move quite uh, quite rapidly. So I think it's a tremendous experience. But having done both, it's a good balance and uh, you know keeps you young and energetic, I guess. <laughs> so Sonny Bagawalia, thanks very much. It's great to see you. Thank you, Francis, and have a great day. Be safe. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every newscast by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GovMatters to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 10.30 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose.